we define feminist as um, believing in the equality of the dignity of the genders. So believing that men and women are of equal worth. And I think it's really important to define that and to start out with definitions because so much of our world isn't working from the same definition. And then we just get really confused really fast. But if you define it like that, I don't know how you could say that you believe in Christ and aren't a feminist. You're listening to Upside Down, a podcast on spirituality and culture. No topic is off limits, so join us for unscripted conversations on God's Upside Down Kingdom. Hello, welcome to Upside Down Podcast. I'll be your host for this episode. This is Lindsay Wallace, and I have a friend of the podcast joining me today, Diana Ostrike. Diana, say hello. Hello, everyone. Super excited to get to be here again. Yeah, Diana joined us for a couple of episodes actually last season, and she's helping me out today with some co-hosting duties. And we are talking, oh, Claire, I should have asked how to say your last name before we started recording. No problem. It is actually, it looks complicated, but it is exactly how it looks. It's Swinarski. Swinarski. Okay. And so Claire Swinarski of the podcast Catholic Feminist is with us today, and we're going to be talking about the F word, feminism, obviously, um, and labeling ourselves and others, and if and when labels are helpful or hurtful. We're going to dive into a bunch of fun stuff today, but Claire, would you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yeah, like you said, my name is Claire Swinarski. I am a listener of the Upside Down podcast, but I'm also the host of the Catholic Feminist podcast where we talk about women in the church and in the world. And I am a wife and a mom of two very small kids. I live in Wisconsin, which is currently like knee deep in a polar vortex. It was like negative 58 degrees yesterday. It was horrendous. I hate the winter. Um, And I have a book called Girl Arise coming out with Ave Maria Press next week. So kind of have a lot going on right now, but I'm super, super excited to be here. That is a lot. That's exciting. So I was digging around your website and I found out that you launched your podcast, The Catholic Feminist, on International Women's Day in 2017. And it says on your website, I was tired of arguing over spaghetti straps instead of dealing with the real issues women face in the church and the world at large. And I immediately felt a sense of kinship with you when I read that, because I feel like it's similar to the reasons why we started our podcast, which was we saw people having these conversations online about, we always use the example of like marble countertops. (laughs) And like people are like, hashtag blessed, I got these new marble countertops. And Kayla and I and the other gals who started originally with us were like, um people are dying like why are we talking about marble countertops people can't eat y'all like what is going on so I immediately felt this sense of like you went after sort of this gap that you saw in a conversation that was happening and to try to fill that so I would love if you could give our listeners sort of a taste of what you see those real issues being like you say in the church and in the world and like what is it that you're trying to do with the conversations you're having on the Catholic Feminist? Yeah. So when I started the podcast, it was a few months after the presidential election. I don't know if you heard, but we had a presidential election in 2016. It got a little heated. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, But there was 
just so many different conversations happening in the world about women's issues, um, whether it was Me Too or rape culture or the way that politicians were speaking about women. And I looked around and I saw a lot of women who I know love Jesus and know who he is talking about things that to me seemed really just unimportant. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think about it like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you guys ever took a psych Mm. class in college, but like the idea that we have to, like you can't really think about self-actualization unless you have a roof over your head and food to eat. Mm -hmm. Like you have immediate needs and then you have some needs you can think about when you have dinner on the table. And I felt like we did not even have dinner on the table, but we were talking about these very small pedantic things. Like I don't, I guess I don't want to say that they're unimportant, but if I went to one more women's talk where we talked about whether or not leggings were pants or like how (laughs) to like talk to people on Facebook and not about these issues that I saw is so big and so important. I just felt like I was going to scream and I saw women having these conversations and I just felt like the rest of the church needed to join in on those. Like I, I didn't want to talk about yoga pants. I wanted to talk about sex trafficking or the Mm -hmm. fact that there's more slaves right now than at any other time in human history. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how we can know that fact and then turn around and talk about marble countertops, like you said. And like, there's nothing Mm -hmm. wrong with wanting a beautiful home. I just got a new house and I love it. But I think that if we aren't consistently thinking of the other people around the world whose lives look so much different than ours, then we're really doing a disservice to the church. And I know for me, I just wanted to have a place where we were talking about issues that are really, really affecting women on such a different level than whether or not leggings are pants. Because I don't and, really care what pants you wear, just to be honest. And Claire, would you in your, you know, just, you know, most people would say that how you read the room depends in where you're sitting, whether that's locally or globally. From where you were sitting, looking at the conversations happening after the election, did you see a disconnect between women and women's issues? Like women feeling like they cared about one thing, but they couldn't care about another thing because it wasn't as important as the thing that their group was really loyal to. Like, did you see a disconnect between all the issues you saw that were affecting women and spoken about? And then what women were really feeling able to respond to or talk about? That's a really good question. I think a lot of the times people have a hard time talking about things that they don't know every single thing about. Um, So people have a lot of fear about talking about an issue that they're not like extremely well researched in. And then I think just except like for on we, Facebook, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, maybe they should be a little more afraid of it on Facebook. But I and I think that what you just said is right. So, for instance, I mean, j- let's just go there and call a spade a spade. Catholics are really passionate about abortion. Really passionate about abortion. Um, and. I think abortion's a very important topic, and I spend a lot of time talking about it. I do a lot of work in that issue. At the same time, I have a really holistic view of what it means to be pro-life. And I personally saw a lot of women talking about abortion and not talking about what happens after 
a baby is born, not talking about poverty, not talking about institutional racism, not talking about sexual harassment and rape culture and eating disorders and these things that are going to affect these babies after they are brought into the world. And I think that people had a really deep fear of bringing those things up and then being seen as like, oh, you're putting those above abortion, which is like a huge issue when it's like, no, I actually am a human being with a brain who can think about more than one thing and I can be passionate about more than one topic. And if you really understand the way these things work together, you should care about all those things. I'm not saying like you should dedicate your entire life to every single cause, but you should have a heart for women in all of these different areas. Does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As you were talking about, um, you know, sort of like the why behind behind diving into these conversations, my mind always goes back to like, where did that come from? Right. So like, I, I hear you saying that um, there's a disconnect between Diana, you said women and women's issues. And Claire, you were talking about like, all these things are happening on a broad scale, but yet you're going to like women's events and people are talking about leggings as pants. And like, I just wonder where does that come from? Like at what point, and maybe it's church history or I don't know, but like at why, why do you think that is? And what I hear you saying so far is there's this deep fear that we have sort of within our own groups of like, maybe being ostracized or maybe someone from outside of our group saying like, Hey, you're not an expert. You don't get to speak on that. Or like, have you encountered other maybe um, reasons for like, why are we not engaging in some of these conversations? Yeah, I think it's what you just said. And then I also think that some of us just live in really homogenous bubbles like I live in Brookfield. So Brookfield is down the road from Milwaukee, which has a lot of issues, a lot of poverty. It's one of the most segregated cities in the entire country. But I live in Brookfield and Brookfield is like white as Wonder Bread. Everybody is middle class to upper middle class. Like our biggest issue is if Target runs out of the new Lily Pulitzer line. Like Brookfield is kind of can feel like a whole different world from Milwaukee. Mm. And I think it's really easy to live in a place like this and feel really disconnected from other things. And, you know, if you've lived your whole life in a white upper middle class family and you aren't exposed to some of these issues, then the people that you start to associate as being connected to those issues, it's really easy to put them in a box. Like we love to put people in boxes. It's like our favorite hobby. So when someone says something about, you know, say like institutional racism and white privilege, we really want to put them in the box of like, oh, so you're one of those crazy social justice liberals. You're probably pro-choice and you probably hate the church. And it's just so Mm -hmm. easy be able to think about it like that. And then we don't want to bring that issue up because other people are going to think that that's what we're about and we're not. But it's like, if we could get over this fear of being put in a box or being ostracized or being seen as other, I think we could just have a lot more authentic of conversations. I mean, that's what I've seen among the Catholics. I don't know (laughs) if you guys have ever seen that or agree with that, but. Yeah. I mean, that feels that feels accurate to me as well. And it, and it really leads into my next question, which actually first I want you, I want to let you describe or define, I guess, feminists or, um, and then maybe share, cause we're kind of going into like 
labels more broadly, which is the direction I want to go. But before we do that, can you define for those of us who maybe don't have a definition in mind, or maybe we do, and it might not be accurate, a feminist? Yeah. So we we define feminist as um, believing in the equality of the dignity of the genders. So believing that men and women are of equal worth. And I think it's really important to define that and to start out with definitions because so much of our world isn't working from the same definition. And then we just get really confused really fast. But if you define it like that, I don't know how you could say that you believe in Christ and aren't a feminist. Well, Claire, just because I love it that you're throwing a definition out there, because I think it, we don't all have to agree, but we all have to start on the same page in order to have a conversation. So when you said, you know, feminism, the definition is that there's dignity of both genders. I also have read that the other definition of feminism is for everyone who believes that both genders should have equal opportunities. And so do you feel like that would blend in tears with dignity? Because I feel like the sticky thing with feminism, and I came from a conservative background, was that if you go to a denomination that has put women in certain roles and said it's God's design, then you really couldn't agree that women could have equal opportunities in education or jobs outside the church. If you really had decided there's a hierarchy inside the church, like that's where it got sticky and where feminism got a really bad name kind of from the denomination that I grew up. Totally. I think that the way that I would view that, so Catholics only have a male priesthood, right? We don't have women in the priesthood, but that doesn't mean that we don't have women in leadership roles. So the priest has like a very specific role. Um, and that would be to like consecrate the Eucharist and to do the mass and to give the sacraments. And that's obviously super important, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily all of the leadership, that they're um, making large decisions in the parish that have to do with finances or directions. And so, yeah, I guess, to be honest, I think that Catholicism wouldn't be completely compatible with that definition, um, or depending on your denomination might not be completely compatible, because I do know that different denominations do different things with women in leadership. Um, But I think if you take away the idea of like a particular role and think of like women being leaders and decision makers, that I think is a really important part of feminism. Like, I don't think you necessarily have to have a woman be the pastor or the priest, but to have women helping to make large decisions in those communities, I think would still be compatible. I think that like the idea of dignity can sometimes get really caught up in these really specific roles. And then I know in the Catholic church, we, we can get kind of clerical and start to think that like priests have all the power and priests are basically gods when they're not. And that's gotten us into a lot of trouble before. And so I think looking at the priesthood as something very specific and not necessarily just like who's in power is really important when it comes sure. to that. But I also think like it's hard to it's hard to narrow down like an exact definition for feminism too, because there's so many different feminist theories. It's not like you can like look up look it up in the dictionary. I mean, you could, but so much has been written about feminism throughout the years and the definition is like molded and changed so much. It's not 
so cut and dry as we wish it was. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier kind of when people maybe speak up about a certain thing or use a label, they get thrown into this category of like, oh, well, you're just another one of, you know, those whatever. So I'm curious to hear like, what do you, what are the benefits or what benefits have you seen maybe to ascribing to that label? Like why, why do you think it's important to actually claim a stake on that label? For me, I think that it's important because when I say that I'm a feminist, I'm hoping to imply that I have a deep heart for women's issues and that I care about women who look like me and who don't look like me. But at the same time, I honestly don't care if someone says that they're not a feminist. That is really okay with me. I I would rather sit down with people and say, hey, do you think that men and women should be paid the same for doing the exact same work? And most (laughs) people are going to say yes. And then, hey, Mm -hmm. do you think that women should be able to walk to their car at night without holding their key between their fingers to stab an attacker's eyeballs out? And most people would say, yes, I do. Um, And when when you start to have those kind of conversations, you can just get so much further. If you Mm -hmm. hate the word feminist and you don't want to use it, go for it. Don't use it. But I hope that you will still line up next to me to fight for the dignity of women and to knock down crappy stereotypes and to elevate our role. I mean, I was just talking with my husband who's like very political and can get very amped up. It would be so much easier if people could come to the table and say like, hey, here's what I'm concerned about. Like, I'm really concerned that there's homelessness. Like I, I'm not calling you an idiot for your politics. It's just a big concern of mine. And someone else could be like, Hey, I get that. I'm really concerned about placing restrictions on businesses. That makes me nervous because X, Y, Z. And it's like, okay, then we can talk. Like if we just drop the labels of I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a socialist, I'm a blah, 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 and come and say where our hearts are leading us and what we're concerned about. I just feel like we could have so much more productive conversations. And I feel like I mean, I don't know. Do you guys like the word feminist or does it freak you out? (laughs) (laughs) What say you, Diana? Oh, I grew up in a conservative, small, rural town. And let me just tell you, the words feminist, peacemaker was just synonymous (laughs) with like hippie, dippy, low moral character, like it's just nothing you wanted to be associated with. And so I really value, I don't value labels, but I do believe that I value the name feminist because there's this author who wrote, she, she's got this beautiful Nigerian name and I cannot pronounce it, but she wrote Americana and she wrote a little manifesto that says why I'm a feminist. And one of the most important things she says in the very beginning is that if we want to fix a problem, then we have Mm. to name what's broken. And that's why she chooses to call herself a feminist. And that's why she says it, because women have been excluded from dignity, from safety, from jobs. And that is why she chooses to say the word because we need to fix that part that's broken. And so I value it. I see it as a way to honor women before us who they were seeing these inequalities before I even had a clue of the history of my gender. And I really want to honor 
the women who who marched so that we could vote and the women who changed things. And so I think the the label is valuable if it helps people to say what's broken and be honest. And I also think that if you say you're a feminist, then I'm kind of blackmailing myself to be actively involved in the issues mm-hmm. that are hurting mm-hmm. women today. Because you don't say that about yourself <laughs> unless you can back that up. And so I I read something that said that activism is good for our soul. It makes us passionate and creative mm-hmm. and involved and actually fills us up with energy. And so I think it's visionary. It's aspirational. I want to become a feminist. And I also want to honor the people in the past who have done work. And I also want to be faithful to the women around me in what is hurting them and showing up for them. So I like the label, but I can definitely tell when you walk into a room and it gets said and the reactions from people on how they feel about it. I think it it definitely is a dipstick can really shut the room down when people see it as something that is going to take away their power or the old man hating business. It's like, oh, that's not what it's about. But it's a good way to see where people are at with the word. And like you said, have a better conversation. Mm, Yeah. The word doesn't freak me out. It's not a word I grew up hearing people use. Um, I think I like your definition. Um, in terms of like creating equality and, and really focusing on that dignity aspect. Um, I guess like my initial like knee jerk thought when I hear it is it doesn't like automatically communicate to me equality. Um, and I, and I guess I just think about like power dynamics and like the goal isn't to shift the power from men to women, right? The goal is to have equality. Um, And that I can like 100% get behind. But I guess in my mind, like my mind immediately goes to like not wanting to that power dynamic and trying to figure out a way in my head to like, like I have, it's, I feel like it's like I'm translating in my head, <laughs> like, okay, that word doesn't actually mean this. It means equality, which is something I can get behind with. Okay. Yeah. You know, so there's this like internal, like I have to wrap my mind around what, wait, what are we talking about? And is that, is that what I think it is? Um, which kind of leads me to my next question, which is who gets left out of the feminist conversation. We've talked a little bit. Claire, I loved what you said about if we all came to the table instead of gripping so tightly to these labels, um, which have become, I mean, they're almost like bombs, right? That you can like let off in a conversation. And so if we all came to the table instead with like, hey, this is really concerning me. This is, I'm really passionate about this. Like I have this neighbor that's dealing with this thing or I personally am dealing with this thing. It's really concerning me. Like that's a very disarming way to enter a conversation. And we live in such a polarized time that a lot of these words, it's like you're stepping on landmines, right? And so it just, that's kind of like the downside, I think, to some of these words and labels. But I wonder like who gets left out of the feminist conversation um, 
And and what do we do about that? Or like, is there a way that you found in these conversations to maybe like center people or bring in people who have been left out? I mean, I think that historically, when you think feminist, a lot of people think of, you know, Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Don't get me wrong. Those are amazing women who fought for us to have their right to vote. I look up to them a lot. I really admire them. But I think that's something that I try to focus on in my podcast and my work is the women who are a bit more on the margins, women whose lives don't look exactly like mine, whether that's women who are living under the poverty line, women of color, um, women who are living with disabilities. I think that an important part of feminism is to see all of our sisters as, as equal and important to us, even if what they're facing is really different than what we're facing. We had an episode talking about intersectional feminism that I loved a lot. We had a college student on named Daniela Capato, and she was explaining, you know, we talk about the wage gap. I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm not going to say an exact number, but it was something like, like X cents. It, women make X cents less than men. And she said, you know, but when I see that, all I can think is like, well, did you know that that's white women and that black mm-hmm. women actually make XX cents and that Latino women actually make XXX cents less? Um, and so I think that it's really hard to divorce the idea of feminism from the idea of race because these racial issues affect our sisters of color so much. And they really have been left out of a lot of these conversations. I recently read, not recently, it was like two years ago, but I'm obsessed with it. So I always say I just read it. Um, A book called Good Girls Revolt. It's about um, a lawsuit that went down in the 60s at Newsweek magazine. Women were researchers and they weren't allowed to be reporters. And this group of women sued Newsweek. It was a really historic case. And the women of color who worked there didn't join in on the lawsuit because they felt like they were being asked to choose between like their womanhood and their blackness. And that was really Mm. an interesting idea to me. And so I think something that we try to do on the podcast is just kind of frequently center those voices that we aren't hearing about a lot, if that makes sense. I think it's kind of easy to be like, performative activism like here I am Mm -hmm. white woman here to save the day riding in on my horse like giving a microphone to all these people um that's not how I want to come off at all but Mm -hmm. I do have a microphone and I do have listeners and so who I have on the show is very intentional and I just want to make sure that we're talking about things that I don't see talked about in my community as much Mm -hmm. and Claire do you find do you find it a tough conversation to, in the spirit of truth, look at, you know, your your church and the church at large and say, wow, we're known for fighting for one or two issues, but we have not been standing with women as a group. Like, we are not known for marching in the streets because black women are getting paid less or because of domestic violence. Like that's just not something that we're known for. So do you feel like there's that element of stepping into something that hasn't always been there? Like, do you find that a place or do you think that that's not necessarily true? I think that church. 
the Catholic Church has kind of been up and down, to be honest. There's been moments where we've really showed up and moments where we haven't. Someone who really inspires me, um, Diana and I were talking before we recorded about Dorothy Day, who she's on my mind right now because I'm reading her autobiography, but she was actually a huge inspiration for me to start my show because she um, saw people marching for workers' rights and she had a moment where she just thought like, wait, where are the Catholics? Like, why aren't the Catholics there? This is an issue about human dignity. Where are the Catholics? And that was so similar to how I was feeling. But I wouldn't say it feels hard. I'd say it feels exciting because I think that the people are the church. Like we are the church of God. It's not our leaders. It's the people. And so when we're doing it, the church is doing it. And you know, I, I, there's a priest who has a podcast I really like called Father Mike Schmitz, and he says a lot, um, don't lead, don't leave the church, lead the church. And so I think it's up to women like us who see these things that we haven't been known for and say, well, it's never too late. It's time to be known for them now. Like, how are we going to make the church known for it? We're going to do it. Um, and so I wouldn't say it's like hard. I'd say I more get amped up. And of course, like, I always just have to go into things with a spirit of humility. But the good thing about like interviewing other women is that I don't really have to know that much. Like (laughs) I bring experts on to talk about it, but the more I learn, the more I get passionate about topics. And the more I just think that like we are Christ's hands and feet on earth. And if we want the church to be known for something, then we have to do the thing and it's never too late, you know? That's really beautiful. And I, and I'm so firmly in the camp that we have just not been given great invitations. Like it's not because people don't care and because they aren't willing to show up and be the church and remake the world. It's because they just haven't been given great invitations. So I love that you're giving your listeners more of an invitation and a bigger imagination and a yes, we can. Because we're not hearing that. I feel like it's so much easier to hear the reasons we shouldn't do something than the reasons why my neighbor, if my neighbor isn't okay, Mm -hmm. then I'm not really okay. And going to church doesn't change that. I don't make the world a better place because I show up on Sunday. Like I'm part of the restoration when I belong to the person next to me. And I put my body where they are. And, right, and we make exactly. it better together. Diana, could you speak to that a little bit? What do you mean by you feel like people haven't been given like great invi- invitations? Is that how you phrase it? That is. And it could be mental gymnastics for how I find energy and positivity. Because there's so much that I see. I see so much hurt in the world as a mother, as a veteran, as a multiracial family, as a woman raising a beautiful black boy. Um, I see so much. And, and what is, what is really hard is when I look around and I see the people I care about not really caring. Mm -hmm. That's like the double pain. And so I, I just continue to tell myself that people aren't not caring because they're hard-hearted it's because nobody's Mm. invited them to do it or nobody said yes you you have a place at the table with us you are part of this community and I feel like when I have been just sinking in despair or getting pretty 
judgy, black and white in my mind. When I get invited to the table and I'm actually part of restoring things with my neighbors, I have way more grace and I see possibility and I really see God working. It's when I'm by myself, not doing anything, not seeing people do things that I start to see the worst instead of, like Claire said, this Mm -hmm. energetic possibility that we are the people. And I was telling her about Dorothy Day because my family just started hanging out at a Dorothy Day house where they offer, they say they're regular folks offering hospitality for ordinary people experiencing homelessness. And like, how amazing and simple is that? Like we all have homes and they just decided that there, there couldn't be homeless women and kids Mm -hmm. in their city. Like their faith compelled them to offer hospitality not a program, not a three-step thing, just hospitality. And I was, it was totally awkward when we showed up to make dinner on Thursday <laughs> night and hang out and eat. Um, but it was so beautiful. And it made me believe that there are good things happening. And my kids just played sorry with a bunch of other really great kids <laughs> who had way better manners than my kids. And they just happened mm-hmm. to be experiencing homelessness but they're going to the same elementary schools as my kids and as some affluent friends. And I just think, oh my gosh, these kids are living in such a tough reality. And yet we're Mm -hmm. making jokes, eating spaghetti. And it feels like my faith is way more alive. And I see so much hope there at that table in that Dorothy Day house than I do nine times out of 10 going about my regular life. So that's what I mean by a better invitation. I think that we're made for better invitations and we just have to invite each other to the table. And that's where we see broken things get healed. And that's where we find the conversations and we find ourselves belonging with my neighbor. And I got some of the best parenting (laughs) advice ever. And I didn't even know that my kids didn't have school the next day until the moms at the Dorothy Day house told me. They're like, your kids don't have school tomorrow. I'm like, what? (laughs) So I just... I think we're made for community. We're made for being on the margins because that's where we really find this Mm. transformational love to give each other. That's good. Thank you for sharing that. So I wonder, we've talked a little bit about the downside of labels and how to come to the table, uh, maybe in a more humble way and in a way that doesn't like have the label out in front of us, right? With like a flashing neon sign. But the reality is that we do have people in our lives, brothers and sisters, who don't align with the same label. And so it's not a matter of like trying to have a conversation without it, but it's like we already know these things about each other that we don't necessarily see eye to eye. So I'm just wondering what advice would you guys um, give for folks who are trying to love somebody close to them? you know, somebody from church, someone in their family, and there's already like these questions or challenges to, um, you know, some of the beliefs that we hold about the world and about the things that are happening in our country and around us. I think for me, the most important thing is to constantly pray for God to show me people the way that he sees them, because it's just so easy for 
someone to say a statement that I think is repugnant and I suddenly kind of see them as a stereotype or like a caricature of who mm-hmm. I think they are or they can say something about one topic and I sort of think I know what they think about every other topic and that just isn't true and I would hate for someone to think of me like that so I think just constantly keeping in mind that everyone's made in the image of God and really just begging God to help me see other people the way he sees them and then I think for me again it goes back to building relationships with people And really getting to know why they think the way they think, because I think once you have that foundation with someone and you kind of get their history and where they're coming to their conclusions, it's much easier to have a conversation. I mean, most people at their heart don't want people to be poor or to live in fear. I I have to think that. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. But something's just getting lost in translation. And so if we can build a relationship with people who are different from us and understand why they think the way we think, I think that's when you can start to have an influence on them. Like something that drives me nuts right now is that it's really trendy to be like, stop humanizing racists or stop humanizing rapists or stop human. I'm like, Mm. but they are humans. They are. We can't, we don't humanize them. God humanized them when he made them a human. And I'm not going to let anyone lose their humanity to me. I think keeping that at the forefront is just what's so important. And we can have deep, divisive disagreement. But if I can't see you as a human, we are never going to be able to sit across the table from one another. Mm, That's good. I think this is really challenging and how I have survived it. Because, you know, you have the good days where you're like, I can listen to you and smile. And, you know, and then you have the other days where it's like, I am raising an African-American mm-hmm. in America and I'm angry and scared and terrified and I'm tired of people who don't have to carry that. Because they can right. step in and step out any day, you know. Um, I think the no skin off someone's nose is real. And so I have given myself permission that I don't have to step in and towards every single person Mm. in every single lane. There are topics that I can consistently be with people who are in really different places. And then there's some that I just can't. Like it just wounds my soul. And I'm counting on other people to, to show up in those conversations and be a peacemaker for me in the lanes that I just don't have it. And so I think allowing myself not to be everything to every person Mm -hmm. on every day has one made me (laughs) kinder. (laughs) And two, it's allowed me to really value other people's stepping in and stepping up because when they handle those conversations for certain topics that I can't, I am so grateful for them using their voice for their advocacy in a place that I am just too tender to do. It's just too much part of my story. And so it really allows me to be, to really honor each person, even in the differences by me not having to be part of that. And I also think the third thing is by doing what I feel like God's put in front of me to do. As long as I am actively doing the things that I feel like he's put in front of me to do, 
there is a joy and there's a peace that other people's criticism or disagreement Mm -hmm. just can't shake. And so I think just quietly, humbly doing the things has really been a place of security. And I can see that people who are also, they can be affected by that without a conversation. They know that we have a really different view, but they can just see what I'm doing. And if they have questions about it, great. But if not, I think there's just a lot of talk. And there's that James Baldwin quote that says, I cannot hear what you're saying Mm -hmm. because I see what you do. Mm. And there's a lot of truth in that. People are speaking a lot, but we can see what they're doing and it's nothing. (laughs) And so I think it's okay to hold people pretty loosely, you know, put the talkers in a room and they just want to talk and the doers will be over here and hopefully we'll get to meet on a park bench and eat our lunch together and swap stories. That is so prudent. I feel like I really needed to hear the second thing you said about like not having to step into every single thing because I kind of feel like whenever there's a justice issue in the news, like 12 people get mad at me for not talking about it Mm. online. And sometimes it's really frustrating because it's like I can't spend my entire life angry Instagramming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I I have to take breaks or I'm going to go insane. And so I feel like I need to hear what you just said. Yeah, Claire, you have a lot of of yeah. people following you. I was actually looking at your Instagram and saw some of those maybe not the exact same comments, but yeah, some people just coming down on you pretty hard and I was like, "Man, give the girl a break." Um, yeah. Most but, days is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things I was thinking as you were both talking a couple of things, um, I have found that I need to disengage from a conversation when I no longer see the person I disagree with as an image bearer. Because for me, like, I can very easily see the image of God in the marginalized or the oppressed or, you know, or the homeless person or whatever, but put the oppressor in front of me and like, it's gone, like gone. And so (laughs) for me, like I, I have found that when I can recognize that in myself, when I'm engaging in a conversation in person or online or just in my head, you know, like thinking about a person and what they might believe that's different than what I believe. Like when I, notice like I am no longer um like seeing them as being made in the image of God like I'm no longer thinking about this person's inherent dignity as a human it's time to step away from that conversation um which is a little bit kind of what you were saying Diana um but also I've been studying Nehemiah lately and I've been really struck sort of the parallels between current cultural moment that it feels to me like we're in I could be way off but and the similarities there because um when they're rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and Nehemiah very strategically um after they start to get threats from people who want to do them harm and who don't understand why they're doing the work that they're doing he um, kind of splits people up, right? And he gives them jobs. And so some people are building and some people are guarding. And so I think, Diana, what you were talking about, like there are times that you can't engage 
in a conversation or in an issue because it's too close for you or because you're tired because God's given you this other thing. Like I think about that from Nehemiah and like some of us are meant to build this portion of the wall and some of us are meant to stand and protect those who are building and vice versa. And there's, that's why we're a body, right? Like we are meant to engage in like upholding the inherent dignity of humans together. That's not a one person thing. And there are lots of different issues and God's given us all different hearts for different issues. And he's given us seasons where we can engage and then we need to step back and then somebody else needs to go and build the wall, you know? And so I just think that imagery for me has been really helpful lately. Um, Cause like you said, Claire, you could spend your entire life angry Instagramming and still it wouldn't be enough, right? There's always going to be an injustice or an issue that you're not speaking to because there's so many, but there's also a huge body, a huge church who can do these things and engage in this work collectively and together. And that's how, you know, we make the world a more livable planet is when we're all doing our part and like fully engaged in what God has in front of us. Absolutely. Um, so I wonder, Claire, if you could give us and Diana jump in as well, some feminist saints or biblical mothers that you look up to and that we could also look up to just to get inspiration from because like Diana said we're tired (laughs) we're tired (laughs) totally there's a couple um one we already mentioned so I won't go too into Dorothy Day but I am just so into her right now because I like I said I'm reading her book but I just love how service minded she was um she that woman like could not walk past an injustice without doing something about it and that is just mm-hmm. so inspiring to me um but another saint that i always mention to me as a feminist is um mother teresa saint teresa of calcutta um my daughter's actually named after her cuz i just have such a love for her and i think why I'm so passionate about Mother Teresa is that she did this really big thing, right? Like she founded a religious order and spent all day taking care of the sick and dying. And there's plenty of days where I spend most of my day like handing out fruit snacks and wiping children's butts. And I'm Mm. just like, I should move to India and be a missionary. Like I'm not doing anything important. Um, But Mother Teresa, whenever people asked her how they could do what she did, she always told them to love their family was the Mm -hmm. most important thing they could do. And I believe that so strongly. Like I think the best way to bring feminism to this world is to raise my daughter strong and my son to understand what men and women are. And I think that that's just the most important thing I do. And so she's really, really inspiring for me. And then I'm also a huge fan of um, St. Gianna. She was a, working mama. She was a doctor and her husband actually wanted her to stop working. And she was like, no, I love working. I love being doctor. (laughs) Um, And she had, I think, four kids. And then on her fifth pregnancy, um, she was diagnosed with, I believe, cancer. And her doctor told her that she needed to have an abortion in order to live. And she decided to um, sacrifice herself to save her child. And Her daughter was like the first person who's ever been to a parent's canonization, which I think is so cool. Like her daughter Mm -hmm. got to go see her be canonized, which I just can't even imagine. But I love her because not only was she like a working woman and a total boss, but 
she also lived out that sacrificial love that I think all Christians, but feminists in particular, are called to live out. So those are just some of my favorites, but I could go on for like 12 hours. Diana, do you have any you love? (laughs) I do. And I love that in Catholicism, you have so many women to look up to. And I came from a conservative Baptist background and women were not really Mm. part of religion. They weren't part of church life. And and if anything, I remember growing up hearing that Catholics weren't Christians oh, because blast. they liked men. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, like, like there was a there was a definite void of seeing women as image bearers of God or leaders or heroes in a, in the faith. And so I am new, looking around trying to find, and especially there wasn't any part of God that was feminine. So. I love that Catholicism has such beautiful examples that you show your daughters young. And so some, so I don't have a bunch, but I'm looking for them now, like Lindsay said. And that author that I mentioned is Chimanda Ngozi Adichie. She wrote, We Should All Be Feminists, and she's Nigerian, and just this beautiful voice. And the other one that I'm holding on to I mean, along with Dorothy Day, because when I was in that house, I'm like, oh my God. You should read her book. So I'm in my bed at night, like Wikipedia and Dorothy Day, because (laughs) there's nobody like that in in the faith I grew up in. And the other one Mm -hmm. is Harriet Tubman, because one of the things she said that I, that is giving me so much hope right now, she said that she could have freed thousands more slaves if only they would have known that they mm. were slaves. And in my mind, people were literally in shackles, and yet some wouldn't say yes to freedom. And so that makes me feel like today when I look around and I'm like, how can people be part of these things or not be working for justice I think if if slaves, if Harriet Tubman said some slaves didn't realize that they needed freedom, then I look around at all of us and say, man, it's okay that a lot of us don't even see hmm. that we need freedom from the things that enslave us. So Harriet Tubman is really badass, just saying, because she got hit in the head. She had like no health care and she lived until upper she lived really long and I have no idea how you could survive. And she, so Harriet Tubman is giving me a lot of, she's giving me eyes to see and a mm-hmm. softer heart to look around. That's good. Honestly, a lot of like um, women of color from today came to mind for me. Um, so Diana, I know that you've also been following a lot of Christina Cleveland's work lately. Um, Crush, big um, crush on her. And for sure, the women of Truth Table um, are people that I am learning from and look up to. I mean, I think there's just so many, and like, unknown people or you know not unknown but not names that other people would know um neighbors that I've had and friends I've had women of color who continue to do the things that they do every day and um yeah just really encourage me to continue 
to speak up and do hard things and you know also like you said Claire like keep passing out the fruit snacks and you know like doing the mundane the everyday things that are also changing the world right like it's not just the big flashy things although I'm a firm believer in um prophetic resistance and action um it's also the things that no one sees you know it's the the books that we read to our kids and it's the way that we talk to our husbands and it's the meals that we make for our neighbors and the rides that we give people i mean it's all of those things that are that are gonna make make the world a better place so yeah and i think my kids are the ones who get me so like i refuse to let things mm-hmm. be in the world how they are because I think of my kids and I'm like equipping them and empowering them to let them know that they are a priceless part of our community and our community is a part of them. Like that's what gets me up in the morning and that's what it might be fruit snacks, but at the same time, I'm like, Oh my gosh, they are the ones who make me think yeah. it's possible and it's worth it. That, that we show up and we lean into pain and we feel it and we listen to people and then we get up and we mm-hmm. do it all again. The next One of the day. things Micah Borne said at the gathering that we had in Chicago last fall is um, like no one, it, this is not an exact quote, but my takeaway was no one in justice work thinks like I'm going to solve this problem in my lifetime. Like, I mean, some people have that aspiration, but most of us are aware of the fact that this is a, decades long generational like we're gonna do everything that we can do and then we're gonna pass the baton right and then someone else is gonna do everything that they can do and they're gonna pass the baton and in this very weird way that was actually comforting to me because I think sometimes I have this added I I mean I can just be a pessimist I mean I can just get so discouraged and so like nothing is changing people are hateful people are dying like the world is going to pot and to hear like no this is this is the work like this is the work of sowing seeds and watering and planting and like and then we're going to pass it on to our kids and they're going to do better and then someone else is going to do better like that was actually oddly encouraging to me. Um, I love that. I When I think of the fact that Susan B. Anthony died before women could vote, it's like, oh my gosh, the poor woman. Like, for yeah. years and years and didn't even see it happen. Yeah. Like, I, I totally agree. Yeah. That was actually his point. I, you reminded me that he used a few examples of people who had fought for things and then never seen them. Um, yeah. So, who, you know, who knows what the work that we're doing today will lead to in the future. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of indigenous folks and African-American folks will oftentimes mm-hmm. talk about their ancestors. And that's not a thing in my family. And I'm right. half scared. I'm like, I don't know if I want to really know who my ancestors were or what they were doing. But at the same time, I think what energizes me with my kids is I want to be a really great ancestor. I don't have to win this, but I'm going to be so proud to say that I cared, that my kids knew that I cared. So 80 years down the road, when they're like, hey, remember during this and this, they're like, oh yeah, guess what my mom did? And not in a braggy way, but just like, you I want to be an ancestor mm-hmm. that 
that yeah that they can say yeah she mm-hmm. just she just showed up she showed up and didn't quit mm-hmm. and even laughed that's a little yeah, when she did that's it that's good well we could keep talking about this for a long time but it is time to wrap up so Claire thank you for joining us can you share uh, where our listeners can find you and follow you online yeah, everything is at the Catholic Feminist Podcast.com. So if you just go there, all the social media stuff, where to find the book, where to listen to the podcast, it's all in that one hub. So you can just head there. Perfect. And Diana, thank you for joining me with the co-host duties today. I always appreciate what you have to say. I'm thankful for you. I love the Upside Down podcast and the gathering just created more <laughs> momentum. So I just love this. I think that... Uh, these conversations are, they're transformative for me. So Claire, thank you so much for doing mm-hmm. what you're doing and leaving a legacy. I mean, for some people to even hear <laughs> Catholic feminist is like a real switch in the road. So thank you for pioneering. Thank you guys for having me. I love the show. So it was super, super fun to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And you can follow us um, at Upside Down Podcast. We're on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us at UpsideDownPodcast.com. Be sure to rate and review. That helps other people find the podcast because our marketing budget is exactly $0. So thanks for listening and we'll be back soon.